Now, friends, if you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, the sixth day, chapter 1, verse 24. And we'll pick up the reading there and just continue through verse 28. We've been now considering God's creation of the world for a few days now. God brought everything into existence by the word of his power. And tonight we'll see that includes making us, making humanity. We tend to think either too little or too much of ourselves. Uh, Richard Pratt, in his fabulous book, Designed for Dignity, tells the story of a journalist who captures in a newspaper article what this journalist calls the irony of being human, about two events that happened on the same day. In the first, a young woman uh, sitting alone in her hotel room at the, near the top story of a hotel is sitting there writing a note. She had left her husband and her two children to live with another man, but that evening her new partner had deserted her and everything was lost. Her husband, her family, her uh, new lover, and in utter despair, she committed self-murder. And the note found that she wrote said this, don't cry for me. I'm not even human anymore. The same day, in a conference down below, a group gathered, advocates of the New Age movement, and they were led by a well-known celebrity in a unison chant, I am God. I am God. I am God. The irony of being human, the article concluded, is that people in the same time and place can have such contradictory views of themselves. I'm not human anymore. I am God. Which is it? If either, what does it mean to be human? What are we? What does God think we are? That's really our question for tonight from Genesis chapter 1 beginning at verse 24, because friends, if you don't know what God thinks you are, you don't know why you're here, what you're for, and how he loves you. So let me invite you to consider God's creation of mankind, beginning at verse 24, as we pick up the reading on the sixth day. Hear now the word of God. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. Livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And the livestock according to their kinds. And everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. 
And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Amen. This is God's word. Let's go before his throne and ask him to bless us. Father, thank you for your eternal and everlasting word, authoritative, inspired, inerrant. And we pray that you would teach us from it. We ask that you would help us to see your glory. We ask that you would lift Jesus before our eyes, even as you teach us what it means to be truly human. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are often taught to think much too little of ourselves. Uh, we, years ago, were visiting the Jackson Zoo in Jackson, Mississippi, when we lived there with little kids. And we toured, of course, the cages of the wild animals. And we ended up at the end at the petting zoo where you played with the nonviolent animals and had a great time. But as you left the petting zoo, you're confronted with a mirror in which you could see your reflection, of course. And over that mirror hung a sign saying, Which animal is the world's biggest polluter? Now, it concerned me as a parent, but not that my kids should be encouraged to reject pollution, which they should, but that they should be taught that they are animals because they are not, and neither are you. And I want you to see that from this passage. I want you to think about what you are. And I want to highlight four things. I want you to see that we are not animals. That we are the image of God on earth. In the third place, that that's true of us, male and female. And in the fourth place, that male and female are given the privilege of being kings and queens under king of kings, Jesus himself. Upon this earth. Those four things. I want you to see this. Who are you? Number one, God made us different than the animals. Verse 24 begins, let the earth spring forth living creatures according to their kinds. And it goes on to speak of all the different kinds of animal creatures. We've already in other days looked at the, the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. But here it's... it's uh, domesticated animals or livestock, these sure-footed, four-footed creatures. It's the little creeping things that creep on the ground, the cockroaches that creep at night. It's hard to believe God made those, but he did. And he made the wild beasts as well. He did all that, and he saw that it was good. Done. Did that. And then God said, let us make man in our image. The hour there, we've looked at this before, is probably the hour of plurality, the plurality of the Godhead, later revealed, of course, to be Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in greater detail. Certainly not angels. We're not created after the image of angels. But notice that contrast, friends. Five times he says of all these animals and creeping things and beasts of the earth, according to their kind he made them. According to their kind. According to their kind. Contrast that with let us make man in our image after our likeness. What kind are you? You are not of the animal kind. You are in fact the God. 
kind. That is what you are. It's not, friends, that we're just smarter than the animals or more highly developed than the animals. We are of a different class of creature. The special creation of Adam and Eve sets us apart from the animals. Now, it's popular for people to say today, well, you know, how did this happen? Well, there were millions and millions of these hominids or apes that wandered the earth over millions of years. And then at some point, what did God do? Well, God picked one of them, the the chosen one, and God breathed into that one the breath of life and made that one into Adam. The difficulty of holding that position is that Genesis 2, and we'll see it again when we get there, Genesis 2 verse 7 clearly says that the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. We're different than the animals. And there's simply, friends, no way. Just as Genesis 2.22 will say that Eve was made of the rib of Adam. Now you can believe that or not believe that, but it's hard to interpret rib as some other chimpanzee. So here we're dealt with something that's difficult. How do we harmonize the Bible and what modern science says to us? And I want to say to you that any attempt to trace us back to the apes is going to fail. Because of the text of the Bible, it's explicit. The, the text, even in 2.7, the text explicitly says that when God created Adam from the dust and breathed life into him, that Adam became a, in the Hebrew, nephesh hayah, a living being. This phrase is also used elsewhere in Genesis to speak of the other living creatures, like animals that became living beings. Why does that matter? Well, Dr. Michael Kruger puts it this way. Listen, if Adam only became a nephesh hayah after God formed him from the dust, then this rules out the possibility that God simply infused a soul into a prior existing hominid or ape, For if God had done so, then Adam would have already been a nephesh chayah prior to God's activity because the apes and animals have already been called living souls. So put differently, he says in Genesis 2 verse 7, it makes it clear that God directly created Adam from non-living material. And once the breath of life was breathed into him, that's when he became a living soul. You will never square Modern views that some scientists hold of evolution with the special creation of Adam and Eve. And and by the way, as we just briefly critique evolution, don't misunderstand me. The the distinction between micro and macro evolution is important. Micro evolution, small scale evolution or adaptation is an observed phenomenon. Creatures adapt to their environments. Creatures can be bred to accentuate certain traits, like like breeding dogs, you know, in order to be be good hunting dogs. Or my wife was in the airport the other day, and and they've bred dogs to be good TSA agents who walk down the aisle sniffing out, you know, stuff you shouldn't have. None of that is evidence for macroevolution, large-scale evolution, with one species changing into another species. 
As we said before, cats don't become dogs. Fish don't become birds. And apes don't become humans. Because God made us according to our kinds. Now listen, some evolutionary biologists will argue the case this way. Humans and apes share certain similar anatomy. So our common features therefore prove common descent. Or we share certain common physiology, the function of our parts shows common descent because there's common functions. Or we share biochemistry, they will say. I mean, after all, there are very similar four-letter DNA sequences in humans and in apes. So the common material, they say, are of building blocks show common descent. But similar anatomy, similar physiology, and similar biochemistry does not equal identical anatomy, identical physiology, and identical biochemistry, and the similarities may be explained rather simply by the fact that mankind shares a common creator who used the same materials and made us to live in the same environment, so we had to have some of the same functions. God, it says in the Bible, used the earth as a secondary cause to create the earth, the animals. Let the earth bring forth the living creatures. God did it, but he used the earth in making them, it says. And God used the dust of the earth to make the body of man. Same artist, same clay, similar features. And besides, and very importantly, we aren't just the sum total of our biochemistry, anatomy, and physiology. That's not all that you are. We're body and soul in one person, and the physical is not all that makes us human, and God defines what human is. So, friends, evolution, as it is commonly taught in certain places, cannot be squared with the special creation of Adam and Eve. Nor can evolution be squared with what the Bible teaches about death. Evolution teaches that death is natural, and through the death of the weak, the strong survive and thrive. But the Bible clearly teaches that sin was in the world before death, and death is judgment for sin. Take 1 Corinthians 15, 21, for instance, where the apostle says, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Evolution says things have been very bad and moving and progressing toward the better, which sort of does make us all feel like we must be a lot smarter than the earliest humans. Whereas the Bible says things were originally very good and have become bad because of the rebellion, which means likely Adam was far smarter than you with an unfallen mind, understanding and comprehending God's world as God saw it. And you and I see but through a glass darkly with a twisted disposition. The special creation of Adam and Eve and the presence of sin in the world before death are two reasons we're going to have trouble reconciling the Bible with with evolution. Now, does that mean we say, well, down with scientists and, and quit your major if you're in biology or chemistry or anatomy. You know, get out of those classrooms as quick as you can. No, of course not. And I don't know what your teachers teach. But of course we don't mean that the Bible is pro-science, pro-study of and love of and delight in the world that God has made. And we are to think God's thoughts after him. 
We should all be good scientists in that way. But does it mean we have to modify our understanding of Scripture? No, it doesn't. It means we need to be humble enough to say, I don't understand everything, and that's okay. And Jesus is going to explain it to me one day. And in the meantime, I'm going to try to figure it out. Sure. But we don't chuck the Bible in the face of the changing fashions of modern science. As one person put it, he who marries the spirit of the age will be a widow in the next. Well, listen, God made us the crowning achievement of his creation, and we are not of the animal kingdom. We are of the God kind. That's the first point. The second is this. God made us in his image to represent him on the earth. Notice again, verse 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. And then skipping down, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Now, image and likeness there are are two different words, but they're basically synonymous in the way that they're used interchangeably throughout the Bible. What is image? What are we talking about there? This is a word that occurs 16 times in the Old Testament, most often in reference to idol-making. You know, an idol, what is that? It's, it's some kind of wood or stone-carved representation of a god or a cast metal representation of a god, right? That's an idol, and then you would worship God by means of that, or you might bow before that and offer it prayer. God says, of course, don't make idols, right? Why? Well, one of the reasons is making idols of God is so wrong because God has made his own idol, his own representation on the earth. You. You are the image of God upon the earth. This is the same word used in Daniel chapter 3 verse 1 where it speaks of a king who had sovereignty over the land and what did he do to establish and perpetuate his sovereignty? He made statues of himself and scattered them throughout the land so that anybody who would see them would know clearly who's in charge here. This is what the old Soviets did. Some of you remember this. I remember this. The old Soviets scattered Russian statues all over the nations of Eastern Europe so that the people of, you know, Bosnia and Ukraine and Estonia would know who's in charge. The Russians are in charge. And what some of us saw when the Berlin Wall came down that the people pulled down the Russian soldiers and statues. Likewise, the same thing happened in Iraq. Saddam Hussein had these all over the place. Who's in charge here? Well, it's him. And the people pulled them down. And so well... God did this too. He made humans to be the representation of the God King upon the earth. And that is what you are. And when we see each other, we should be reminded to worship him and not the created things and the creature in whose image we are made. We are to worship the creator. Yet, irony of ironies, we are so regularly found pulling each other down and hindering the right knowledge of the true God King. 
Now, that's what an image is. You are his representative on the earth. And in what way were we designed to represent him? We could say a lot of things, but certainly in terms of your moral and spiritual likeness to God. You were made to be like God in certain ways. What ways? Well, we were designed to be morally and spiritually like God. And we have marred that and we have twisted that in the rebellion into sin. We know that because the Bible teaches us that by redemption, what is Christ doing? Christ is renewing in us the image of God. He's renewing us after the image of God in knowledge and righteousness and holiness. The Apostle Paul says it two places. In Colossians 3 verse 10, he says the new self is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 24, he says... We are created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. You are being renewed in those things after the image of your creator. You are being renewed because that's what you were intended to be from the beginning. Had it not been marred. In other words, you and I were to know God and think like God and talk like God talks about things. That's knowledge. And we were designed to love God and love what he loves in righteousness. And we were designed originally to imitate God and do what God does in holiness. And in the fall into sin, all of that was marred and twisted and became obscured. And in redemption, it is renewed until we finally Become like Jesus when we see Jesus. And the Bible says you will be like him for you will see him as he is. This is what God is doing with us, friends, in Christianity. He's renewing the image. Some of the implications of all of this are this. The more sinful we are and the more we give ourselves to sin, the less we reflect the image of God as we were designed to be. So we might say the more sinful we are, the less human we are. To err is human, people say. That's not true. To err is fallen. But it was not designed that way in the first place. Sin dehumanizes us. It, it progressively eradicates the image of God in us and makes us something entirely other than what we were designed to be. But we might also say this, this ought to humble us We are only an image of God. We aren't God. And we are, since Genesis 3, a fallen image. But this should also lead to a profound sense of dignity, the fall notwithstanding. We are the image of who? Of God. We all have inherent worth because we are all made in God's image. And this ought to teach us, friends, that all utilitarian versions of mankind are wrong. You know what I mean by that? Listen, we don't believe people have worth or value because of what they can do, what they can contribute, or because they have the potential to be useful and happy. And if absent their ability to contribute or be useful or be happy, then they have no value. Then they're not important, people will say. I mean, this is the view of Peter Singer, bioethics professor of Princeton University, who advocates killing off the elderly 
who have lost their ability to produce and have supposedly become a burden on humanity. Who believes, likewise, that we ought to kill off the handicapped who have, you know, a rather limited potential. And who believe parents ought to be allowed to kill off their born children after a number of days. Based on whether they want to keep that kid and care to keep that kid. We don't believe that, friend. We don't believe in the view of Margaret Sanger, the founder of abortion provider Planned Parenthood, who said that, quote, the most merciful thing a large family does to one of its infant members is to kill it. We don't believe that. Contrary to that, we believe in treating all people with respect. That all human life is inherently valuable, full of dignity, because of the image of God in man. No matter your potential. And this ought to teach us, friends, that all elitism is wrong. All are made in the image of God. And none are left out. It is no surprise, however, that one of the consequences of an evolutionary view of mankind is the elitism of racism. Now, that is not in any way, shape, or form to say people who believe in evolution are necessarily racist in any way, or that people who don't aren't. But friends, think of it. Racism easily flows from evolution if we're all evolving then some are more evolved than others, even if we're debating who that is. Evolutionary views informed Hitler's racist attempts to perfect man. He killed the handicapped. He killed the disabled. He killed the so-called weaker links in order that they might not reproduce themselves. Oh, no, friends. The doctrine of the special creation of Adam and Eve, the image of God on earth, is the only escape from racism. We are all of one common ancestor, whether black or white, male or female, European, African, South American, or Asian. And we are all inherently valuable. We are all designed to represent God on the earth. That's what we're made for, friends. As Aslan, in the story of Prince Caspian, do you remember that children's story? He's talking, this is a C.S. Lewis children's book. Aslan is speaking to uh, Prince Caspian. Welcome, Prince, he says. Do you feel yourself sufficient to take up the kingship of Narnia? I, I don't think so, sir, said Caspian. I am only a kid. Good, said Aslan. If you had felt yourself sufficient, it would have been proof that you were not. You come, Adam goes on to say, of the Lord Adam and the Lady Eve. And that is both honor enough to lift the head of the poorest beggar and shame enough to bow the shoulders of the greatest emperor on earth. Now friends, you are not an animal. You are an image bearer of God, though marred as it is. And thirdly, This text tells us that God made male and female in his image. He's explicit. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. No, men are not from Mars and women are not from Venus. You are from God and we're equal in creation. 
And some people think the Bible doesn't teach that, but there it is. The image of God. He created him. Now, some people take that gender masculine language of he created him, male and female, he created them. And, and they say, well, uh, there's no place for that today because, you know, it, it belittles women. It's the language of sexist patriarchy, people will say. But isn't it interesting how this actually highlights the full equality of women with men? Both are included by God under the category of him. Well, this is God's word, not our word. And God isn't prejudiced, and he used the word, and he, he might have found other words. He might have found two words. He might have found distinctive words to describe male and female under the category of what he made, but he included both under the language of him purposefully to place both under the one name to emphasize our equality. And yet there is distinction. Men are not women, men are men. And women are not men, but are women. And we should praise God for that. There is something about God which he desired to communicate about himself, which he determined to express by making both male and female. And while male is fully human, male is also male, not female. And while female is fully human, female is also female, not male. God made us equal in our essential nature as humans. And he also made us different expressions of that essential nature. As male and female reflect different ways of being human. And friends, we might add this. That we are one or the other because God designed it that way. Sexuality. Our sexuality is not uh, a matter of infinite degrees between absolute maleness and absolute female, femaleness. Sexuality isn't about ultra fight club mixed martial arts champions on the one side and Betty Crocker making pies for her 12 children on the other. Your sexuality is not a matter of hormones or personality, but of chromosomes. It's more than that, but it's certainly not less. We are either XX or XY, either male or female. So, so what if you're XY? male but but you're not a fan of chuck norris and you like to sing in the choir and you enjoy poetry so what you aren't any less of a male and so what if you're xx female but you hate pink ribbons and you love college football you're not any less of a female part of learning to follow christ and to be remade in his image is learning to be truly content with what god has in fact made us and then they'll learn to live it out and learn to rejoice in what God has made others. Delight in being a woman. Delight in being a man. So there is equality before the sexes, or before God of the sexes. We are different and complementary with distinctive characteristics, yet each is the image of God. We are all one in Christ Jesus, as Paul says elsewhere. So whatever role responsibilities we have that make us distinct from one another, and there are distinct role responsibilities in the church and in the home, whatever those are. It doesn't mean that we aren't equal, equally the image of God and equal in full salvation. So he made them male and female after his own image. And finally, he made us both male and female to subdue and rule the earth. 
Verse 28, what did God do? God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. You are not true nature's child born to be wild. You were born to tame that which is wild. You are made to subdue the earth and rule over it. You are kings and queens under the king of kings himself. And we ought not think, uh, we, we, we ought to think, if not say, when we greet someone, your majesty. I know that seems absurd. But you just met a king or a queen by God's design. Years ago, my daughter asked, can I move Willoughby, our dog, can I move Willoughby off the couch so I can sit there? I looked at her, I said, sweetheart, always. (laughs) You're always more important than the dog. The dog is always to do what you tell it to do. Now, it doesn't always do that. But God put you over the animals. And you aren't one of them. You're a king. You're a queen. And you're designed to master creation. Physicians master the human body and the cause and cure of disease. Architects and engineers master building things. Barbers master haircuts. Musicians master an instrument. And chefs master food prep and presentation. This is what you were made for. Take charge, the Bible says to you. Take charge of some portion of God's world and know it really well and put it to good use. If um, in your finiteness, of course, you can't master it all at once. And in your fallenness, it's difficult to master. And this is one of the reasons we have parents and educators to train young people to help them figure out what aspect of creation they can study, learn, and master and how to go about that. That's one of the reasons to be educated. And we might also add this. Our rule over creation is to be one of stewardship and not exploitation. Rule over the earth, subdue it and have dominion doesn't mean destroy it. In fact, fascinating passage. Revelation chapter 11 verse 18. It talks about Jesus coming back one day to save his saints and to destroy the destroyers of the earth. That's a scary passage, friends. Almost 25 years ago, walking along the college sidewalks at Miami University when I was a sophomore, my friend Jason Bantz was a senior, and he led me in Bible study and discipleship. He was a mature Christian. I was an extremely immature one. And one time we were walking along, and he just, as we were walking, he just stooped down, grabbed a piece of trash, and about 10 or 15 paces later, he just nonchalantly dropped it in the wastebasket. We have never had a conversation about that ever, but I remember it like it was yesterday. What was Jason Vance doing? He was being a good steward of this earth that God had placed him as a king over. We were made to use but not abuse creation. And we were made to rule and not be ruled by creation. There is a lot of sorrow in life, friends, when creation itself, either alcohol, drugs, sex, entertainment, Work, leisure, food, internet, anything. Anything can master us instead of being used by us to serve God and serve others. But we were designed to use it, not abuse it, or be abused by it. 
So in conclusion, friends, it is, I mean, think of it. Think of, think of what all that you are, are to be. What a great tragedy then that we who were made to serve and worship God while ruling creation have reversed the natural order. And we serve and worship the created things and are ruled by them. And it's a great tragedy, likewise, that we don't respect one another as we should. We can talk about how we ought to treat everyone else with dignity. But if you know yourself and your own heart and words and thoughts about people and your own failures to love people, you know what a mess you are. There is something profoundly wrong with us. We fail to represent God the way that we should. And if you see yourself in that, friends, then here's what I can tell you. That this is why Jesus came. He came. The image of the invisible God to be the exact expression of his deity on the earth in man as the God-man. And he became like us in every way without sin. And he did it to rescue us from our sin and to renew in us after the image of God. As a man named Rabbi Duncan once said, Oh, what a solemn thing it is to be man, made so exalted, fallen so low, capable of being raised again so high. Let's pray. Father, uh, seal to us the truth of your word and teach us to walk in the way that you are renewing us to be, to be like Jesus, for we pray in his name. Amen.